Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. I can't have any regrets about that. It's part of who I am, and I'm proud of that. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you watch me on the Drew Barrymore Show, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another helpful episode of Dates and Mates. So a headline just crossed my desk that said there is a spike in breakups right after Valentine's Day. Oh, look at the time. It's right after Valentine's Day. And I just have to say, I know it's unfortunate when a relationship comes to an end. It's painful, especially when you thought it's a relationship that might last forever. But sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes values change. Sometimes people grow apart, or sometimes you realize it's just not a fit. And it's a difficult part of the dating journey, but it's also an opportunity, a chance to reset and realign with your needs and your goals and your values. And that's why I have award-winning divorce attorney and founder of the family law firm Happy Even After, Renee Bauer, here to talk about new beginnings. But first... I am serving up a tasty dating dish for you all. The New York Times tells us how the language of therapy took over dating, and I'll tell you what to do about it. Then later in Dear Demona, I'll answer this familiar question. I'm looking for a relationship, but all my dating matches end up looking for a hookup. Is that all that's out there? All right, lovers, get ready for a real one because it's time to dish. These dating dish. The New York Times tells us how the language of therapy took over dating. Now, this article acknowledged how dating comes with its own dictionary and buzzwords. I have made an entire TV segment about it on Access Daily with Mario and Kit. I have a dating dictionary segment. But according to the New York Times, in recent years, psychology terms like love bombing, gaslighting, and trauma bonding have also wedged their way into the lexicon. I actually have to admit, I didn't even know that love bombing was a therapy term. So many of these dating dictionary words are such a part of the dating lexicon that it's hard to even know where they originated. And we see them popping up everywhere from therapy talk, you know, TikTok therapy, to even Hinge. Hinge has included prompts like, therapy recently taught me, and a boundary of mine is, and my therapist would say. So we're thinking about it a lot. We're talking about therapy a lot. 
And now, according to this article, it's saying that taking care of one's mental health is carrying social currency in some spheres. So it's this therapeutic lingo that may just be another tool for daters to distinguish themselves to prospective matches or to filter out matches if they are not speaking the same language. We already do this. Language and vocabulary is one way that we see if somebody is sort of on the same wavelength as us or if they match us in intelligence or if they have the same cultural reference points. We already scan for language. And now this therapy language is working its way into dating profiles and also into our dating filtering experience. So our friends at Match, they put out this Singles in America study every year. And the study looks at Americans, not just Match members, but it looks at about 5,000 people and has them rank what they look for in a partner from sexual attractiveness to trustworthiness, humor, similar interest, and all of that. And in last year's report, emotional maturity made the top five list for the first time. And this was very interesting as they were analyzing the data. Dr. Helen Fisher is the lead sociologist for Match, and she's really great about parsing through the data and telling us what it means. And she says that the way people sell themselves has changed. And being honest about mental health both signals your values and helps weed people out. And that referencing therapy while dating in your profile, it actually kind of conveys a status. One, that you have the financial means to receive care. And two, that you make the time to practice mental health. Now, I took a little bit of issue with this being about financial status because I think it's highly problematic that we think of therapy as only something that people with financial means should or could have. And there are many ways to either get therapy at a reduced rate or join group therapy programs or to receive counseling through outlets like churches or community centers. But no matter how you come to therapy, it's clear that it is working its way into the way that we date. And I'm even looking at my own data from OkCupid that said, 99% of people on OkCupid believe that mental health is as important as physical health. 61% of OkCupid respondents believe therapy is good for people. And 33% said it's necessary. But here's the big takeaway for today. And this article really hits the nail on the head. It says, although talking about mental health helps destigmatize it, non-professionals also get it wrong. And using therapy speak, it can provide a convenient excuse to write someone off. So calling someone toxic makes it feel okay to ghost them. So that's what we're not going to do. We're not going to use these terms to justify our bad behavior in response to other people's bad behavior. And According to the article, when people misuse words like gaslighting or narcissist to describe everyday turmoils, those who actually experience abuse have less of a voice. And I'm grateful to the article for pointing that out because I hadn't really thought of it in those terms. I just have found myself increasingly more annoyed by therapy talk. (laughs) And it's really important to get this right. Therapy is a great tool to better understand ourselves. That is right on. However, 
when we all have access to this language and we start using it in a casual manner and using it to classify or diagnose others, that actually only pushes us further from true connection and further from what I talked about on my latest episode of the Drew Barrymore Show, a relationship growth mindset. So that I think is the big takeaway, that really therapy is for everyone. We all can and should be using the tools of therapy to improve ourselves, but not as a way to eliminate or to judge others. When we come back, we will be joined by divorce attorney Renee Bauer, who's seen a few relationships go sideways and has a lot of insights to share with us about new beginnings. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back. Renee Bauer is an award-winning divorce attorney, published author, and founder of the family law firm Happy Even After. Her upcoming summit, She Who Wins, runs April 28th and 29th and focuses on both personal development and business strategy. Please help me give big smooches to Renee Bauer. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. And man, Renee, the timing sure is um, sure is interesting because I was saying at the top of the show that I've been hearing that after Valentine's Day, we see a big spike in breakups. And I know traditionally, I've always heard January is called divorce month, right? As people yeah. come through the holidays and start a new year fresh, I think maybe this is the time. I'm curious for you, both as a family law attorney and as someone who has been through divorce a couple of times, <laughs> how do you know, girl? How do you know? <laughs> oh, that's the million dollar question. Like, that's the question that so many people will sit across from my conference room table and say, how do you know? And usually my answer is you already do. So what happens is someone's coming to me because they've already reached the point where they're like, you know, like something's not right or it's been a long time coming. But what happens is we start to listen to our head. We start to listen to, we crowdsource from people we love who are so well-intentioned, who want the best for us, but they're giving their opinions and they don't know what's going on inside that house or inside that relationship. And so how do you know you know when your gut's telling you it's time, when you can't see yourself being with this person for the rest of your life, when it doesn't feel good anymore, when you're spending more time fighting and there's so much conflict, that's when you know. And so I always say like, turn off your head, 
Turn off all of the reasons why you're telling yourself you shouldn't go forward in this the separation or the completion of the relationship. It usually has to do with money, fear of being alone, not knowing what's on the other side. Turn all of that off and then just pay attention to what's living inside of you. And that's your answer. You don't need a lawyer to tell you it, not your best friend, not your parents. Like you have all of those answers already inside of you. People just don't want to listen to themselves. They don't trust themselves. Oh, that's so true. And I talk a lot in dating about listening to our intuition. But I'm just going to play devil's advocate because I see as a dating coach, I kind of see the other side. And sometimes I feel like we get to this point of, I don't know if it's like living in a fantasy of imagining this is not what it's supposed to be. Like I was just talking on the Drew Barrymore show last week about this idea of soulmates and how we sometimes then question when we're in it, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this what it's supposed to be like? And then we think something better is on the other side, but sometimes we haven't really done the work on the relationship that we're in and we think that we're just going to get out here and catch another man. <laughs> I, I, You know what? I love that question because you always hear all the time people say like marriage or relationships are work. And they, they are work. Like you can't expect how you felt those first three or even six months of dating to last forever. It's just not reality. And if you set those expectations up, you're constantly going to be chasing that high or the, the butterflies. But I'm talking about like the true connection, having communication that's respectful, going through conflict in a way that feels safe and having disagreements in a really safe way. Like those are signs of really good, healthy relationships, but it takes work in the sense that you have to put time and attention into your relationships. So that, that means you have to have those conversations. You have to foster it and nurture it and carve out the time to put away the to-do list and running the kids around or whatever else you have to do and take time to nurture that and connect because even the best couples will disconnect. So my husband and I have a fabulous relationship and there'll be times where he'll be like, you know what? I feel disconnected. And I'll be like, you know what? You're right. Because we've been so busy. We've been running uh, back and forth and, and, you know, checking off these lists and we, we've disconnected a little bit from each other. And now it's like, okay, what can we do to bring that connection back? That doesn't mean the relationship is done. No, it means like, Hey, I miss you. I miss that connection. Now let's take some time to bring it back to us. And that's a healthy relationship. Those are the phases that any relationship goes to. Yeah. When people say relationships are work, I sometimes am like, yeah, but it shouldn't be that sort of you know, clock punching kind of work where you're like, oh, it's probably more like the work that you do and that I do where we really love our work and we want to show up for our work, right? And we want to be accountable. And that example that you gave is is so perfect because it really shows us also how to just just name what you see. And sometimes people get to that point where, you know, they're calling you, they're 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 ready to walk away and we haven't named it. We haven't discussed it because I think Renee, I think we're afraid of that answer just kind of going back to what you were saying originally if we say, "Hey, I'm feeling kind of disconnected here." Are you feeling that? What if the answer you get back is, yeah, I'm disconnected and I don't love you anymore, which is probably not the answer you're going to get. But I think that fear of hearing the reality is what keeps us stuck in that limbo state. 
But what's the alternative? The alternative is you don't have those conversations or ask those questions. And then a year or two down the road, everything's been shoved under the rug. There's resentment. There's disconnect that can never come back. And then you find someone seeking out a divorce attorney because you haven't had those uncomfortable, hard conversations. It's part of a relationship. And it's always best to get ahead of that and build that into your life, whether it's monthly check-ins or weekly check-ins or however you do it, rather than not ask those hard questions, not have those tough conversations and end up at my office. Yeah, that's so true. You talked about communication being a foundational element of a healthy relationship. I'm sure you've seen how it's gone wrong many times. So can you tell us some other signs? A lot of our audience is single and they're asking, is this the person? Is this right? What should we be looking for? I, you know, tr- trust the, your gut, the red flags. So as I was getting ready to walk down the aisle for the second time, there were red flags. Like I had moments where I'm like, something feels off. And I didn't pay attention to it. I'm like, oh, it's just nerves. Well, it wasn't just nerves. It was correct. My intuition was correct. But pay attention to, you know, from from a very practical standpoint, is the person being upfront with you? Are they turning their phone upside down and keeping it, you know, not, not around you or they're looking at it kind of like secret? Like those are things that you see when a marriage is falling apart, when a relationship is falling apart, but it's also telling you if you're in a new relationship that they're keeping something from you. Having conversations about, you know, if you're a little bit more serious about money, what is their relationship with money? What does that look like for them? Are they being secretive about those things or are they being upfront and forthcoming about what's going on in that part of their life? Because that's important. You can't get married without, you shouldn't get married without having those conversations too. Again, another hard one, but you're going to get to the root of any potential problems by getting ahead of it. So those those things. Mm-hmm. I want to ask specifically because that question literally just came up in my dating accelerator program just this week. Somebody said, I can't date someone with debt. How do I bring that into the conversation? Now I know what I, what I would say, but I want to know what you would say, Renee. So, you know, I, I have questions because I'm a lawyer. I have questions. But it's, you know, is, is that a first date question? No. Is it, you know, you've been dating a few months and maybe you start talking a little bit more about a future exclusivity? And, you know, I would say, what's your relationship with money? How do you handle it? Are you a spender or are you a saver? Like, I'm a, you know, and, and share what you are. How do you feel about having debt? Like ask those open-ended questions and then you'll get a lot of information about whether they carry the debt or, or whether they're a spender, whether they're hiding something, whether they're uncomfortable talking about it or their eyes getting all shifty and they can't look you in the, the eye as they're having that. And that will give you a really good sign as to how they handle money. Oh, that's a great, great answer. And I would agree with you. We kind of came to the conclusion of those open-ended questions, like you're saying, just give them enough rope, you know, like yeah. they'll tell you what their goals are. They'll tell you what their concerns are. But yeah, probably not first date conversation. No. But it's so funny to me because people put debt so high on their or not having debt, I should say, so high on their list of criteria. And yet the majority of us out here are carrying debt, yeah. whether it's, quote, good debt or bad debt. People are like, well, I'm in debt. But I want to be with somebody that is more stable financially than I am. 
because I don't want to take on their debt too. I, I mean, and then I would just ask, like, where the debt come from? Like, my questions would be, well, sometimes people have things happening in their lives and transitional moments in their life, whether it's a divorce or maybe it's a parent who passed away and they took on debt from that, or or maybe they lost a job and there was a reason for it. So just mm-hmm. having debt on its own doesn't tell you a whole lot about what's happening in, in someone's life. So it's like, ask those other questions and dig a little bit deeper because people have shame around debt too. And yeah. they, they may feel judged. So just asking that question, do you have debt? <laughs> you know, you might have someone not be really forthcoming about it, but you you probe and you get to know that person a little bit better too by finding out like what are the circumstances around that. And I know you see the books, Renee, so you know a lot of folks yeah. out here posturing <laughs> like mm. they're balling and they're also <laughs> carrying debt. So don't believe everything you see on Instagram because right? Renee has the receipts, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure I do. Okay, so... There's another thing that I see happening in dating culture right now, and I'm sort of raising the red flag on this. It's now customary for moving in together to be a step before marriage or just I don't even know if I would call it a step before marriage. It's a part of the dating trajectory now. And I think it's something like 70 percent of couples move in together prior to marriage. But Renee. Let me tell you, I see folks out here moving into that phase because they're really eager to move the relationship to the next phase. But if you are getting married to someone and moving in together, there's a whole different set of questions and criteria that have to be met that don't necessarily have to be met when you're cohabitating, but there's still risks associated with moving in together that I feel like people aren't asking the right questions or being being upfront or vulnerable enough about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I there's there's so many things that people need to think about when they're moving in together and I had a friend who did the same thing that she they weren't getting married, they moved in and they didn't have things put into place. They actually bought a house together. Well, when the relationship dissolved, well guess what? It was a big mess because they actually didn't even have the help of a court to help them untangle, they had to do it all on their own. So if you're moving in and actually purchasing together, you probably should be writing up a contract as to what happens in the event that that wedding does not actually go through. I mean, think about the legality of it because that moving in, like I see the the draw to it, right? Like you're, you're, you're trying to figure out if you can handle living with your potential spouse's like socks on the ground every day. How much does it annoy you? <laughs> but there are other things too to think about. So, you know, I, I see it too. I think that that happens more than it doesn't because, I, you know, and I, and I think about it, I don't know of anyone who hasn't waited on moving in before they got married. I think it's just like it's, it's what people are doing now. Yeah. Do you recommend as a family law attorney – Should you put in writing, like I say, have those conversations about what happens if it doesn't work and how you're going to split up finances and like, are you bringing pets into the relationship? Are you bringing kids into the relationship? I think it's a good idea to put some of those things in writing. And obviously, you know, it's not a prenup situation where you would necessarily go and 
I mean, would you go and hire an attorney? I don't know. Could you? Should you? You could. You could. Even if you got married or not, you still could and write a contract. But whether it's in writing or not, I think the important piece is having those conversations and, and having clarity around them, not just in passing, not just over dinner while you're like, pass me the potatoes. And what do you think about dogs? You know, it's like sitting down and being like, okay, here are the things that are important to me. Here are the things that are going to impact our lives together married or not. And let's have a conversation. I mean, you brought up a good point. If there's kids, bringing kids from other relationships into a new relationship, that changes everything. So Mm -hmm. there's so many conversations that have to happen around that. What happens when your, your teenagers are leaving messes around the house and the other person who's, they're not their kids, like how does that get handled? Well, if it doesn't get addressed, you're going to have a lot of resentment. You're going to have a lot of angry people. It's going to impact the relationship with, with these kids. It's going to impact your relationship with your your partner, like having those and just being so clear as things come up to, to be like, okay, we need to address this and get ahead of it. And so that there are guidelines that everyone's following or expectations everyone knows like, okay, here's, here's, here's how we're going to deal with this in the future. Same thing, whether you're getting married or not, you know, those conversations are so, so important. Yeah, I agree with you. And I just say, write it down because... <laughs> I know people forget things. I know. <laughs> and, right? and they're like, did I say that? And you're like, uh, according to Article 7. <laughs> or at least like write it in your notes on your phone, right? And like send it to so you each have the same notes. But yeah. You're like, honey, can you repeat that again? I'm going to put my voice memo on so I, I have a record of this. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a serious conversation. We're making light of it. And I think it shows that it doesn't have to be that intense. Like you can yeah. have this conversation in a lighthearted way. Yeah. As long as you have it. But let's say we get past that point and we are moving towards marriage. I've heard you say, Renee, that you should treat marriage like a business and protect it. What do you mean by that? So I say that you should every single month be having state of the union meetings with your spouse. And sitting down and saying, okay, we're going to do nothing but talk about whatever's happening in our marriage and in our house, looking at the numbers, looking at the finances, looking at the money. Money is probably one of the most common reasons that people get divorced. They're not having conversations about it. There's a lot of stress around it. Someone's a spender. Someone's a saver. So sit down and, and look at those numbers and say, where are we this month? Do we spend more money than last month? Is there something we can be doing to saving? Like, do we want to save for a vacation and work towards something? So treating it like a business in that sense, treating it like a CFO, like you, you two are the CFO of your household. Don't let money control you. Don't let it just flow in and out and hope and pray that you have enough that month. And then say, oh, we want to plan a vacation. Let's charge it. No, sit down and look at it like a C-suite executive would look at their cor- a corporation and say, what can we do to plan to deal with any hiccups along the way? Because that's going to save you so much conflict down the road. Is it sexy and exciting? No, you can save that fun, ex- sexy, exciting date night another night. But this is something that probably will save your marriage more than that sexy night will. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. I A couple months ago, I was going through some old files and I found the budget for our honeymoon. And I was like, oh my gosh, was I that anal? (laughs) Budgeted down to like, you know, okay, two meals at, at 60 euro plus. And I was like, 
And I, I mean, having been a producer, a, a content producer for a long time, I was like, I brought our honeymoon in on budget. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> a real moment of pride. I don't do it to that level anymore. Yeah. But I think, you know, some of that is because it was so foundational earlier on in the relationship that now, you know, we're on the same page about spending. And I've seen relationships really go south from two people having different spending habits or having secret spending yeah. that the other person didn't approve or that they weren't supposed to find. So that that's something that is really important, I think, to get right. And I always say that when people are arguing about finances, it's usually not just about the finances. It's a yeah. proxy, right? Money is a proxy. It's about something else. And money is the way that you get to that. We have to normalize these conversations, I think. Absolutely. And they're not all fun and easy conversations. Some of this requires some discomfort, but you still do it anyway. That's right. So for those listening who have been through a divorce or a big breakup themselves, I know sometimes I get the question, do I tell people that I'm divorced? Do I put on my profile? You know, is it something that you know, people will judge me for. Yeah. What do you say? I'm sure you have a lot of clients that are coming through this process with you and then are going back into the world, hopefully to find love again. Do you ever give them advice on how to take their past experiences and move forward? Yeah. So this is such a personal question because I am twice divorced and I had so much shame around it. So mm. go figure. I'm a divorce lawyer twice divorced and didn't want to talk about her own divorces or share because I felt like such a failure. Mm. And there was such this emotional like shame that like I kept it so close to myself. And let me tell you, that did not help me heal. And when I actually started speaking about it, it was first going on a podcast. A good friend of mine was like, I have a podcast. I'm going to bring some sushi over. I'll have a couple martinis. I'm going to ask you questions. And I'm like, ooh, sushi? Okay. I'm like, <laughs> uh, like easy to please here. We'll work for sushi. Right? <laughs> and when <Me> she started, <laughs> it's not hard. <laughs> when she started asking me questions, it was the first time I ever spoke about my divorce. And when that episode dropped, I was inundated with messages of people saying, thank you for sharing that story so vulnerably. And I swear it was probably the martini that was talking at that point. But I also realized I have to talk about this and not and, and not hold it to me. And it's not a reflection on me. And I started to talk about it and share. And even now, I'll, I won't hesitate to be like, yeah, I'm twice divorced, two relationships that were not a good fit. And, you know, and so I, I always encourage people, don't blast your ex on social media. Don't disparage them. You don't even have to declare that you're divorced or single or anything like that. But if you're on a date and someone brings up a past relationship or, or something like that, just own it. Yeah. You know, I'm divorced. There is no longer any shame to that. And the more that we speak that and say it in confidence, the less that we feel like it's something, there's something wrong with us about it. And it's just, it's part of our story. There are so many divorced people out there. And it's surprising me, like with my own podcast, I have guests on that I have no idea they were divorced. And then they drop that. I'm like, is anyone not divorced? Like there's so <laughs> many of us. So it's, it's, it's part of your story. It's part of your history. And I always say like those moments in my life happened and put me on the path that I'm on now and allows me to do the work that I do now. So I can't have any regrets about that. It's part of who I am. And I'm proud of that. Mm. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I 
And I fully agree. Every relationship that you have, every experience, it's part of your journey. It becomes part of your story. And, you know, moving from a place of shame is usually not going to get you the best result. I'll just add one additional tip for anyone dating that is in that situation where people ask you about your divorce to just remember that you also don't owe anyone your story. I've had clients before that get asked that question and then they feel like, because I think because of the shame, they feel like, oh, I better just tell them about all this stuff. And if they can accept me warts and all, like then, then I know that they're in it for good. But sometimes it's too much information too soon and they haven't earned that part of your story yet. If they buy you sushi and a couple <laughs> martinis, then then maybe we can maybe. talk. <laughs> all bets are off. I'm going to share it all. <laughs> this has been a really enlightening conversation. I know there's plenty more that people can find on your Instagram. And then you also, you've got a summit coming up. So it's the She Who Wins Summit, which is happening in Connecticut on April 28th and 29th. And I wanted to create an event where women could come together and be motivated, inspired, have some fun, have some entertainment and connect with really other like-minded women. So if you're an entrepreneur, we have workshops for you. If you're a stay-at-home mom, we have workshops for you. You know, I found that so many of these conferences and events were geared towards entrepreneurs, but there were so many women that wanted to be in a room with other women who had big dreams. And that was the inspiration behind it. So this is our second year running it. Thank you so much for joining me, Renee. Be sure to follow Renee on Instagram at Ms. Renee Bauer. That's M-S-R-E-N-E-E-B-A-U-E-R. And you can learn more about the She Who Wins Summit at shewhowins.com. The links will, of course, be in the show notes. In a moment, I will be back to answer the following listener question. My dating app matches all seem to be looking for a hookup. How can I find something more serious? Stick around. I love hearing your questions, and I love helping you out in love. Dear Damona. Damona, help me. Today's question comes to us in an Instagram message from Andrea. She says, I listen to your podcast frequently. You mentioned keeping your profile active and engaging. Most men are on these apps nowadays for hookups, not relationships. In my experience, it always turns into sexual comments and never anything of substance. And most have a wife or a girlfriend that they are living with. First, Andrea, I want to validate and acknowledge your experience that you've had on the apps. And I'm sorry that you have not been getting back what you are putting into dating apps. I also want to acknowledge that a lot of times when we repeat a phrase, I call it a dating samskara, a samskara, a mantra, when we focus our attention on something and come to a conclusion about what something is and repeat that in our mind, it actually trains our brain to see that, to focus on that, and therefore to attract more of that into our lives. And I know it's a little counterintuitive because you're saying, I don't want the hookups. But by even writing the phrase, most have a wife or a girlfriend that they are living with, you are setting the stage for that to continue to be your experience. So look, I've been coaching for 15 years. And not only did I meet my partner online, but most of my clients over the last 15 years, I've helped 
hundreds, if not thousands of people make matches. And most of them are happening online. And I have several clients who are getting married this calendar year. And I get updates from people every day that are moving into serious relationships online. So which reality is true? Is it that most people have a wife or a girlfriend they're living with? Most people are not looking to commit on the apps. Most people are looking for hookups. Or is it, could it possibly be true that the people that you have met, either because of the app that you're on, because of how your profile presents what you're looking for, or the way that you engage with the people you're meeting, could it be that that has been your experience up to this point, but that is not necessarily universally true? And that is something that might be able to change for you. Because, I mean, let me in here, Andrea, because I got to have a window of opportunity and enough of a belief that this is something that can change to be able to help you get to a shift. So in the very concrete terms, here's what I want you to do. First of all, if you are on a free app, I want you to consider if that app has the pool of people that you want to meet on it. I don't know if you're on multiple apps or if you tend to just like one. And I'm not even going to say, oh, it's only hookups on Tinder. I literally just heard a story today of somebody who found their fiance on Tinder. So the apps have different people on them. They have different focuses. But ultimately, it's more about how you use the app. So I w first, we just have to take responsibility for that. And then ask, I want you to very honestly examine your profile. And this is for anyone who feels like they're only seeing people who want hookups when they are seeking a more serious relationship. So look at your profile photos and ask yourself, what story is this telling? Is it specific? Are you using the three C's? Have you downloaded the free profile starter kit from datesandmates.com? Are you presenting yourself as someone who is looking for a serious relationship? Because a lot of times when I'm working with clients and I'm actually going through their profile, they don't realize even the signals that are being sent from the pictures that they choose of literally just having a tank top where you show cleavage and you think, well, this is attractive. I'm attracting people, but it's putting people into a different mindset when they are swiping right on you. So we have to look at everything that is that what you're wearing, what is in the context of the photo, because people make split second decisions on dating apps. And as soon as they look at you and they categorize you in their mind, that is the track that you go on. And then we'll get into the communication in a second, but then it becomes harder to steer the ship in a different direction if they have the wrong impression of who you are and what you want from jump. So we look at the photos first and say, what is the story that I'm telling here? Second, we look at what we've said in the bio. So, and I just had to tell my dating accelerator clients this a couple of weeks ago, using phrases like, I'm open-minded, which you may say, I'm open-minded. I'm interested in different points of view. I am always learning. I'm open-minded. It can be code for, I am interested in hookups. I'm interested in being a part of your triad or being your side chick. 
I'm open-minded about sex and all of these other things. So there may be code words within your profile that you don't even realize are sending you in that direction of the outcome. So the very first step is to just go through your profile and say, is this profile not only an attractive profile, but is this profile actually presenting me in the way that I want to be seen by my future partner? Once you've done that, then we get into the, the screening step. And this is, I, we, we've spent in the Dating Accelerator program the last like three weeks going through screening because this is so important. How you communicate with people, what you allow in, and how you filter through your matches. Because on a lot of the apps now, there's very little information to go on. So you have to screen in the DMs, in the chat, in the message function. And when you're doing that, are you upfront about what you're looking for before you start to engage? We're afraid that if we say, I'm only interested in relationships, is that, are you on the same page? We're afraid if we say that, what if they, they get turned off and they run away? But I just want to remind you that anyone who has that reaction is turned off because that is not what they want. They want the hookup. And of course, I mean, we're put on this earth to procreate. Sex is a basic need and desire. People are going to try. <laughs> People are going to try. But what will you allow? What will you allow into your life? And what boundaries will you set up from the beginning to help you weed through quicker before you start getting into a committed conversation with someone only to find out? that they have a wife or a girlfriend. I do not believe that that is the majority of what is out there. And I say this based on what I can see from behind the scenes as the OkCupid official dating coach, from what I see from my clients who are out here finding committed relationships every day, and from what I hear on this podcast as well. So I have to believe that that can be true for you, but it does all start with you and how you engage with the apps, which app you're on, how you present yourself, and how you then move people through your, your screening process, through your filter, to see who is really worthy of your time and your emotional investment. All right, we kept it real for episode 452 of Dates and Mates. I love getting your questions, and I promise you, if you have a question, there's someone else listening right now who's thinking the very same thing. So don't be shy. DM me. I'm at Demona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can give me a call. Send me a text, 424-246-6255. We'll be back again next Tuesday with The Bachelorette's Rachel Lindsay. Until next week, I wish you happy dating. <laughs>